Rich and Mike Show, Flagler County's hometown sports show. Here are your hosts, Rich Carroll and Mike Leishio. Yes, it's another episode of the Rich and Mike Sports Show. Good Saturday morning, Flagler County. And a good Saturday morning to you, Mike Leishio. Hello, Flagler County. Rich, it's the last week of summer if you're a Flagler County sports fan. Oh, yeah, we are pumped up. Stuff is about to start happening. It's all going to start happening. <laughs> and not a moment too soon. So if you don't understand what I'm saying, NFL training camp started this week. Next week, fall practice will begin for high school sports, bowling, football, golf, swimming, track and cross country, volleyball. will all start practicing next week. So we'll have some local sports to talk about. We're getting very excited for the upcoming fall sports season, Rich. FPC football and Matanzas football will be right here on our airwaves in just a few short weeks. Oh yeah, that's super exciting. We can finally we finally have some local sports to talk about. Um, and lately, I guess the big story in sports. I, I hear you talking. I haven't been following it closely, but you've been following the U.S. national women's team in in the World Cup. Uh, how's that going, by the way? So they they have one win and one draw. They drew with Netherlands the other night. Um, well, depending, it was Wednesday night here, but the game was played Thursday because in Australia it was already, or New Zealand rather, it was already Thursday. But it was a 1-1 draw. Not unexpected. You know, you always expect that the U.S. national women's team is going to win because they just seem to run through everybody. But, you know, one of the presumptive favorites to upset the U.S. and take the girl the World Cup is the Netherlands. So a 1-1 draw wasn't a bad result. You know, they felt like they left some opportunities out there on the pitch, but that's okay in pool play. You just want to get that one point at least for the draw and not take a loss. And then the first game they played against Vietnam, they won 3-0. Their next game is on Tuesday at 3 a.m., which is 7 p.m. Wellington, New Zealand time. Oh, will you be uh, Will you be up for that one? Most likely <laughs> not, but... You know, we'll have it for you on the morning sports this week. We'll, we'll we'll get you covered there for sure. I know when I was listening to your sports report and you mentioned that it was a 1-1 tie with the Netherlands, uh, I, I guess I figured the Netherlands were a good team, but you're so used to the women's national team just marching through everyone. I was a little, especially in the early rounds, I was a little surprised um, that they were, that they tied so early, but I guess they played a quality team, right? Absolutely, and you know, we... Julie Ertz, one of the team leaders, um, the wife of Zach Ertz of the NFL of NFL fame, you know, she talked about that they they have to get some more shots in the net. They can't miss opportunities like they did in that game. So I think it's it's good sometimes when you're a team that is the overwhelming favorite to have a little wake up call early that kind of gets you refocused, gets you not that they need to be refocused or motivated, but sometimes you get that little extra from from a close call like they had because the Netherlands was leading for most of the game. They scored in the 17th minute. The U S didn't tie it until the 63rd minute of the game. So it was a mostly Netherlands affair to that point. In fact, Netherlands had the possession for 57% of the game. So the U S is going to have to work on, you know, keeping the ball on their side more with the inevitable rematch. Cause I'm sure those two teams are destined to meet again. Once we get into the right. um, actual um, quarterfinal, semifinal, the, with the knockout rounds, and I think yes. uh, I think when when you look at it, uh, I, I was watching some of the highlights of that game, and 
a dramatic, beautiful goal on the header to tie it. So maybe, like you said, a sign of things to come, some good games to look forward to. And here locally, some great games to look forward to. We have all the high school football, not all the high school football games. That would be hard to do. But, uh, you know, we split them up between Matanzas and FPC. And uh, starting in late August, you're going to have Friday Night Lights, uh, Flagler County High School football right here on News Radio WNZF. Week one, what's the date on that? August 28th, Mike? Am I right on that? August 25th. Friday 25th. the 25th will be in beautiful Live Oak, Florida. I don't know if you've ever been out to Live Oak. It's in an area of the um, state that I refer to as the prison belt. Yeah. Um, right. you know, but, but, you know, there's also blueberry farms out there, but not much else. It's, you know, but Live Oak is about halfway between Tallahassee and Jacksonville. Mm. Um, the Swanee Bulldogs, who FPC – Beat 35 to 10 last year in week one. Um, although Swanee had some opportunities. They threw the ball pretty well. They just weren't really able to finish drives. They weren't able to get many stops on defense. But they went on a little run after that FPC game and won 10 of their next 11 to advance to the playoffs and get into the semifinal round. So this should be a good matchup. Matanzas will be on the road that week at South Lake High School in Groveland, which is outside of Orlando, about 45 minutes outside of Orlando. Um, South Lake is coming off an 0-10 season, so should be a good start for the Pirates as well. And I'm looking forward to it, and I think we're going to have a really good game week one with that with FPC and Live Oak. Yeah, and if you're Swanee, you, you're, you definitely remember a game like that, and, and you want to get a little bit of revenge to, to get the season started and feel good about yourselves. And also, you know, FPC is not the same team that they were last year that made the playoffs. They new head coach, new quarterback. So, Swanee, maybe this is a statement game for them. We'll see. And I've seen that, you know, FPC had some people transfer out. Rodney Hill transferred to Mainland, as did DJ Murray. Cole Walker, who was a backup quarterback, transferred to Nice, although my sources are telling me that you might – that we shouldn't be surprised if he shows up on the field for practice at FPC on Monday. Travell Adams has transferred back to FPC after spending the spring at another school. So Daniel Fish's team is coming back together, and they've got a very, very balanced district. I think that that district is up for grabs, and I'll be out at all those schools. I'm going to go out to Nice at one point and Tokoy at one point too, just to kind of get a gauge on with their coaches um, out there and see what kind of teams. I've already seen Tokoy and Nice in the spring, and you know, I think this is a very winnable district. I think that it's going to be very competitive. None of the teams that I out of FPC, Tokoy, and Nice that I saw in the spring really stood out to me as you know, head and shoulders above anyone else. So it's going to be an interesting year because I think FPC, even losing some big names like Ashton Bracewell, like DJ Murray and Ronnie Hill, I think they still have a shot to make the playoffs this year again for the sixth time in seven years. Does that sound right, Rich? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, there's been a lot of winning, even with a few different head coaches uh, over there at FPC. And yeah, this is the type of season and, and it's reminiscent of, uh, the first year for um, Coach Forrest over there with Matanzas when he came in with the air raid, and you didn't have many expe- you didn't have much expectation for that team. Uh, but at the end of the day, they got it done, and they went on a run late in the season, and they gave you a lot of excitement. So, and those are the seasons that sometimes can be the most exciting to watch. And uh, you know, I had some of the most fun I ever had watching local high school football and covering it with that uh, first year Forrest team 
with the Matanzas Pirates. So uh, if, if you're Coach Fish, that's that's what you want with if, in your first season with the FPC Bulldogs. And, and if they're able to do that and have a big year here and make the playoffs once again, it's a season that uh, people here locally will remember for a long, long time. And one of the things that's going to be real helpful to Daniel Fish is that Marcus Mitchell is there. And, you know, Marcus Mitchell's a bell cow running back. He's going to take a lot of pressure off your passing game because teams are going to have to key on Marcus Mitchell. And he's able to get the tough yards and grind out drives and help out a young defense even by keeping them off the field as well. And so he's going to be a catalyst for this FPC Bulldog team. And then on the other side, I've got high expectations for Matanzas. I wouldn't be surprised if when the News Journal's top five comes out in a couple weeks for the preseason, I wouldn't be surprised if Matanzas is in there. They've got Daquan Evans coming back. They've got Jordan Mills and Cole Hash coming back. Shamarian Gaines is back from Texas. Daniel DeFalco transferred over from FPC, so they have some weapons. You know, I think – one of the things that Matt Forrest offense thrives on is having a lot of options in the passing game. And I think you'll see Zach Fury going to um, develop more as a running back this year. And we'll see Daniel, we'll see um, Cole Hash get some carries as well as running back. But they've got weapons, they've got options. The line looked a lot better in the spring. And I know they've been improving as well because they were super young last year. And I think this is going to be a year that really. I look at their schedule, and other than St. Augustine, you know, I don't see a game where, you know, where they may not be the better team. You know, St. Augustine is going to be tough this year in that district. In their district, Menendez has their seventh coach in the last three years. So um, Anthony Rivers is going to have his team, a young team, but I think that team is going to be competitive. But I think they're the better, I think Matanzas is the better team there. Play is going to be very good, but I don't. We saw that clay team last year and they brought back Dykus, who you remember was running amok against them. But really that clay team's not going to be that much better than last year. And but St. Augustine High, I'm gonna throw out my um marooning goal alma mater here. <laughs> I think St. Augustine High is on a collision course with Mainland. If I had a guess at where those two seasons are going, I'm thinking that the third round of the playoffs, the regional final, is gonna be St. Augustine versus Mainland. And the winner of that game is going to head on to the Final Four, of course, but probably on to the state championship. St. Augustine's got some weapons that are going to be tough to spot, but you know what? That's why you play the games, because if, if it was just a given that the better team was going to get the W, you wouldn't even put it on the schedule. So exciting times. I think, like I said, you know, if St. Augustine, I think, I think the Matanzas St. Augustine game is going to determine who wins that district. So we could have two district championships, and I expect us to have meaningful football in Flagler County into at least the first week of November when the last week of the season comes, and I expect to see some playoff football too. Oh, yeah, I'm with you, and, and that is an exciting addition with DeFalco at Matanzas. You figure he's going to get a lot of targets in that uh, Coach Forrest offense, and how many times? And, and he's, he's a great addition because he's a big kid, with with really good hands and runs great routes. How many times did we did we watch him with FPC and and see him running wide open over the middle? And we're like, man, they should go to Defalco a little bit more. They they should target him a little bit more. Maybe he gets those targets in at Matanzas. And the weak point of that offense last year was the offensive line. They were a little undersized. They were a little young, mostly sophomores starting on that line. Having a big guy like Defalco on the end of that line to help in the 
running game and with the pass with the run blocking as well is going to be important too. So I think he is to your point a big key to this Matt Forrest offense taking off. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So the calendar turns to August. 2023 that's very exciting for a local sports reporter right mike oh yes i can't <laughs> wait to get to it you know i go to try and prepare my friday morning and monday morning sports reports and think what am i going to talk about oh there's nothing locally so <laughs> which is sad and i'm always saddened by it because that's that's where the fun in the job is is getting out into the community getting to meet all these coaches and kids and you know all these people doing great things and you know, representing our county so well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and you know who else gets excited? At least this year, we're getting very excited as the calendar turns to, to August 2023. Our New York Jet fans, because we have Aaron Rodgers on our team. It's very exciting and, and possibly the best team on paper. So much has happened the last couple of weeks with this team. I mean, when can you ever remember, Mike, where the Jets are the it team, right? You turn on all the national, uh, you know, uh, media uh, sports media, whether it's ESPN, Fox Sports, all the national media, the Jets are always the top story. They're the talk of the country. Uh, and, and on top of that, they're getting hard knocks. We'll talk about that here in a second. But uh, how about the great, he hasn't even played a snap yet for the Jets, but how about the great Aaron Rodgers taking a $35 million pay cut so that the Jets could get more players? If that doesn't show that this dude is serious about this, and he wants to win at all costs. I mean, who takes a thirty-five million? And that's thirty—that's guaranteed money. Thirty-five million dollar pay cut to win. You don't see that anywhere in the league. As a matter of fact, he's going to be making less money than Daniel Jones <laughs> this year. So, how about that? Were you shocked when you saw that? I, I was. I wasn't. I was shocked for sure. But I think the good news about it—I think I was more shocked, not so much by the pay cut because he gets a lot of money fronted to him and you know a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush so that part of it made sense to me i think the thing that surprised me is now he is fully committed to that second year and i think if you're a jets fan that's what you wanted to hear because that was the concern the jets went out and gave up a lot to get him and they're putting all their chips to the center of the table but even with all the moves they've made and added receivers like lazard and randall cobb and they made a run at DeAndre Hopkins and they've added, you know, to that team to try and go out and win a Super Bowl this year. It was a little unnerving to think that they would only have one kick at the cam because they're the Jets. It, can something go wrong? Something always goes wrong with the Jets. So I like having that mulligan, so to speak, although I could have really used one of those last Sunday. Oh. Anyway, um, I like having that mulligan. Where, okay, if things don't work out this year with the Jets, we'll just try again next year. They got Rodgers on the contract for at least one more year, and you know he's going to be back in 2024. Because I think that was the big concern when the trade was made is, is this a one-year rental? Yeah, yeah. It's not going to matter because they're going to win a Super Bowl and he'll retire anyway. But no, I'm just kidding. Knock on wood, that's that's what we're all hoping for. But, you know, when he does, do, when he does something like that and takes $35 million pay cut, now all of a sudden – Dalvin Cook is in town, and guess what? You got plenty of money now to sign Dalvin Cook, give him the contract he's looking for, um, which I guess would be around what Saquon Barkley got, uh, the $11 million. Uh, From what I hear, they're about a million dollars apart on, on what they're looking to pay a Dalvin Cook. But from uh, his in his own words, Dalvin Cook says odds are pretty high that he's going to sign with the Jets, and he's, he's in New Jersey this weekend. They're hashing it out, and who knows, by Monday – 
Dalvin Cook can be a Jets. And, man, what an incredible roster they're putting together here. What do you think about that move if it does happen? And it does look like there's a, a high probability that it, that it will happen. When you're trying to win a Super Bowl, you can't have enough weapons. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs. They didn't rest on their laurels. One got Kadarius Tony last year. But on the other hand, Robert Sala was very effusive in his praise of Brees Hall and, and how he felt about Brees Hall physically at this point in the game, saying that there's no physical limitations, that he's running at full speed, that everything seems to look good. So I was a little surprised in that respect. But again, when you're trying to win a Super Bowl, I think having a good veteran running back like Dalvin Cook, even as a second option, is something that you want to have. Dalvin Cook gives them options in the passing game. You know, Aaron Rodgers likes to spread the ball around, so the more targets, the merrier. Much like our Matanzas Pirates, you know, if you got guys that can make plays, you can get them out in space. They're going to make things happen. So I, I'm not against it. I was just surprised given how highly Robert Soller felt about where um, Brees Hall is at this stage. And and you could, and, and uh, Brees Hall maybe not super thrilled about all of the rumors of Dalvin Cook coming in, maybe showing a little bit of immaturity uh, as he tweeted LOL at the idea of Dalvin Cook coming to the Jets. But I think ultimately, yeah, it would be a good thing for him to have a veteran like that come in and, and show how he gets it done and how he's become a star in the league. Because as good as uh, Brees Hall was last year, he still hasn't played a, a complete season in the NFL and got injured his first season, as impressive as that first season was while he was out there. So, yeah, I agree. All the weapons you can get, uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, and they already got Hardman in there, Cobb, Lazard, you know, and, and of course they got the Offensive Rookie of the Year last year out there, number 17, another target. So, I mean, there are a ton of weapons. This might be the greatest offense ever assembled on the New York Jets. And, and, and uh, it's you don't want to say that, but I will say it when they haven't played a snap yet. I get that. But uh, and, you know, they're getting things done. They got it done um, with Quinn and Williams. That he might be the most important player this side of Sauce Gardner on, on the defense. You know, they gave him four years, 96 million. Uh, 66 million guaranteed, the largest guaranteed contract in the history of the New York Jets. He's now the second highest uh, paid defensive tackle in the NFL behind uh, Aaron Darnold, I believe. So uh, how about uh, getting it done with Quinn and Williams? I was a little worried about that. You always hoped that in the end that that deal was going to get worked out. I think you had to secure Quinn and Williams because – of what he means to the defense. It all starts with him really up there on the front line. And we forget this was the top five defense last year. And now if they could have scored any points at all, and I think they had averaged, I saw where they would, if they had averaged 17 points a game, they would have gone 10 and seven. Well, they should have 17 points a half with this offense and things are looking bright in New York for sure. Or in Floral Park, whichever way you want to call it in New Jersey, but things are looking bright and, it's, it's a time to be excited. Oh, yeah, it really is. And then on top of that, the Jets get hard knocks. That happened a couple weeks ago. I haven't gotten your reaction to that. I don't really think it's a big deal. We've experienced hard knocks as, as Jet fans before uh, during the Rex Ryan era, and that team still had success, got to an AFC championship game. Uh, so I don't think it's a negative. A lot of people do look at it as a negative with all the new pieces. Do you really want that type of attention uh, all those cameras involved in what's going on as, as you're trying to build this thing from the ground up here. Uh, what do you think about the Jets uh, reality TV show? 
early on, I was concerned that the Jets were making such a big deal of it that it would become a distraction because of the big deal the Jets were making. But I think it's going to be fine. I think that Sean Payton certainly helped things out because <laughs> with his comments earlier this week on Nathaniel Hackett, it's kind of turned a lot of the attention internally away from hard knocks and more towards, you know, banding together to stand up for Nathaniel Hackett. And, you know, Nathaniel Hackett has a lot of former players on that offensive side of the ball that are behind him. I heard some of the defensive players taking up too. And, you know, I think that, I think that it's going to be fine. I don't think it's going to be as big deal as everybody's making it out to be. You know, initially, if you thought about it, well, this is a young up and coming Jets team, but they added a lot of veterans. So there's a lot of veteran voices in that room that I don't think will let that become a distraction. And I was going to go. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I I was going to, and I wanted to go there, and I'm so happy you brought that up. That's amazing, huh? How about Sean Payton? You know, I regarded uh, head coach in the league now, head coach over there uh, at Denver, and and he comes out. I've never seen a head coach say this about his predecessor. It was pretty wild where Sean Payton comes out, and he calls the guy before him, now the Jets offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett, he said of, of his job last year with the Broncos, one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. He said there were 20 dirty hands around uh, the quarterback, uh, around Russell Wilson's career worst season, uh, which, of course, included 16 touchdown passes, and he was sacked 55 times. So, man, I, I've never seen the new head coach take a shot like that against the old head coach, one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. What do you make of a statement like that? That's crazy. He's not wrong, but he still should have said it. I don't disagree with what he said. I thought Nathaniel Hackett, in fact, if you go over to my Twitter account, Football County One, when Nathaniel Hackett was interviewing for jobs last year, I didn't, I didn't think he did a great job here in Jacksonville. I thought, okay, well, anybody could look good with Aaron Rodgers at their quarterback. Knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> but that continues to be the case this year. But when he didn't impress me when he was in Jacksonville, for sure. And I remember my tweet said this. Nathaniel Hackett is the type of coach that owners trip over themselves to go 4-13 and 13 with. What was the Broncos' record last year, Rich? Yeah, I know it was bad. 13. It was at 4-13? and 13? <laughs> Wow, worse he was than four, They were... They were four and twelve when he got fired, so he didn't get to his four and thirteen. But it was one of those three words moments. So, you know, was Sean Payton's assessment of the team incorrect? I don't think so. You listen to a lot of the people around the Denver Broncos and the media and around the players. There was a lot of dysfunction there. There was a lot of issues with Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett, not both seeming to be in over their head at times. But at the same time, we don't want to call out another team especially a team that you're playing early in the season. Yeah. And then, and then Sean Payton, he wasn't done. He, he goes ahead and, and he takes a shot at the Jets. So he kills Nathaniel Hackett for what he did with Denver last year. Then he goes and takes a shot at the Jets, talking about all the PR, the pomp and circumstance, marching people around, all this stuff. We're not doing any of that. The Jets did that this year. You watch Hard Knocks, all of it. I see it coming. Uh, so he he's basically taking a shot at the Jets there saying, we're not doing what they're doing. What is up with this guy? Why would you even go there? You know, and by the way, Jets play the Broncos in week five. Head coach Robert Sala said he could say whatever the heck he wants. We don't care. You know, so I'll be taking a shot at the Jets now too. Yeah, it was, and the Jets, it's been a rebuild. It's not been like they, other than Aaron Rodgers, who's the real big all pro 
name. This isn't like the Jets of of 10, 12 years ago. Wow, it's probably been longer than that. When they added LaDainian Tomlinson and they added Braylon Edwards and they added all these guys. This is really just adding the one piece you were missing, a quarterback, and then getting some complimentary pieces. You see Kansas City do it all the time as well. And we don't look at it as, oh, well, Kansas City, they're they're not sticking to the process. They're just adding a bunch of people. And no, they're adding the weapons they need to win a Super Bowl because you need weapons to win a Super Bowl. You can't just get it done with a run defense and a good game, a good um, running game and a good defense. you got to actually have a quarterback who can put up numbers. And that was – even if the Jets had made the playoffs, even if Zach Wilson was competent last year, when you get into the AFC especially, you've got to have somebody who can go toe-to-toe with Pat Mahomes. You've got to have somebody who can go to toe-to-toe with Josh Allen, with Joe Burrow, who hopefully is okay because I love watching that dude play as well. You And the Jets didn't have that guy. They have that guy now. They have a guy that all 53 players on the Jets roster, if they're up against the Chiefs and in January, they say, you know what? We've got a guy who can win this game. Yeah. And, and they didn't have that. Before. And you mentioned it. You know, last year, the Jets had a top five defense. They had the offensive and defensive rookies of the year. So, a uh, very talented roster, and they were missing that quarterback. Zach Wilson was terrible. You had Mike White out there. Uh, none of these guys could get it done. Uh, maybe Aaron Rodgers can get something done that hasn't been done since uh, Joe Namath. Speaking of which, what would you call a successful season for the Jets this year? What is a successful season for the Jets? I think with everything that's gone into it, I think you have to get at least to the divisional round. In my opinion, though, I think if you don't get at least to the AFC championship, it's not a success. I think this is a team that was built to do one thing, and that's win the Super Bowl. And if they don't at least get that close, then I think it is ultimately a disappointment because – Chances are they're going to run into one of the three teams I just named in the divisional round. And again, the whole reason for doing this was to make sure you had all the pieces in place to beat one of those guys. So if you can't beat one of those guys in the divisional round, then I think ultimately it is a little bit of a failure. A couple other NFL notes here. Jalen Ramsey, Dolphins get one of the best cornerbacks in football. Now out three to four months with a torn meniscus, a knee injury. That's a big blow for the Dolphins, Mike. That That's huge. Because <laughs> they thought they were going to be better than the Jets this year. They got a lot of hope. Especially when you need that guy to cover all the weapons that we just talked yeah, exactly. about. You know, and Jalen Ramsey is a top three corner in the league. And, you know, when he was here in Jacksonville, his rookie year, I remember turning to somebody and said that I think he could become the greatest player defensive player in the history of the Jaguars franchise. And I think had he not been run out of town, I think he would have. And so that's a huge loss for Miami, but they'll get him back. They'll get him back late in the season. So I think they, I don't think that's a devastating where you write off the dolphins. I think it's going to be fine. You're better with him than you are without him, but I think you can survive a few weeks without him. A scary sight there for Cincinnati. Joe Burrow carted off the field with a calf injury. Uh, If you're a Bengal fan, you don't want to see that. Uh, And all of a sudden you're seeing some of these other teams uh, around the Jets, biggest rivals, taking on some injuries right now. That's the scary thing about training camp, and I think that's why you've seen it scaled back so much over the last few years that the players wanted to scale it back. And I think the coaches and some respects are probably relieved too because they don't want to put those reps in that, you know, for a for practice three weeks before the season, four weeks before the season, they're losing the top player. Hopefully it's just a strain for Joe Burrow because 
we can already eliminate one of those three teams that I named if Joe Burrow is not healthy for the Cincinnati Bengals. And what's kind of ironic is that before that practice, they were talking to him and the press was talking to him and asking him, you know, you haven't gotten your extension done yet. Why are you even here? And he said, well, because I can't give up opportunities to get better. I've got to be on the field. And then, you know, unfortunately, he, you know, he leaves practice in a cart. Yeah, that was terrible. And a lot was made, a, a lot is made these days about how the running back position has been marginalized in the NFL. Uh, dispute between Saquon Barkley and the Giants ends with him uh, uh, signing for $11 million one year. Franchise tag, they'll probably do it again last year. Did he cave too quick? I think he he should have he should have caved about eight months ago when they made him an <laughs> offer in the middle of the season. I mean, Saquon Barkley lost big in this deal. I mean, what he got wasn't even really any different from he should have just taken the tag if he was going to hold out and sign this deal. He might have been better off. And to circle back to why Brees Hall is upset, it's because of the devaluation of the running back position and the fact that Brees Hall likely the rookie of the year if he doesn't get hurt, he's probably already thinking about that second contract. And he looks at it and he says, well, I'm in my second year, and they're already bringing somebody in to compete with me. You know, how much do they value me? And I think it's got to set off an alarm. And Where is he going to be in two years when he's up for his deal? They're going to go back and say, well, we added Dalvin Cook in year two, so, you know, you're expendable. And I think that's part of the problem with the running back position is that there's so much talent to a certain degree that it's they're they're not I don't want to say interchangeable parts because you have to have a good running back, but yes, you know, the gap between a good running back and a bad running back is not as much as it once was. There's not a lot of running backs out there that you can't plug in and get production from. That's another episode of the Rich and Mike Sports Show. We'll see you next time.